the Happy Hour Podcast with your host, Joel Fleischman. Hello, welcome to Joel Fleischman's Happy Hour Podcast. Today I have Eric Kane, Senior Buyer of Lumber at Drexel, as well as Griff Jones. Hello, Griff. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Podcast number 46, the Happy Hour Podcast. This is a temporary home for our podcast. Our podcast room is being remodeled, so we have to add the gong into our normal podcast area. Okay, yeah. Happy Hour Podcast number 46, brought to you by Central Waters Brewing, Oktoberfest Lager. It's a good winter brew. It is snowing out here like crazy. There are no famous 46. And we always do like the famous 46s. Well, you're maybe a hockey guy, Griff. Are you a hockey guy? Do I stereotype you? Uh, a little bit, being Canadian, but yes, I do follow it. And uh, if you don't, you're shamed. So you have no choice. Yes. And you're a soccer guy. I saw that in somewhere on your website or something. Yeah, I follow that maybe a little closer. So um, yeah, takes any, any, any famous 46s? I don't know any in basketball, football, or baseball, which are my three bigs. Any famous 46s? Uh, not really. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I'm neutral. Yeah. I don't know a 46 either. So for all you young kids out there trying to put a name to yourself, you know, grab 46, make it something. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so good beer, you like it? I do, very good. No, I like Oktoberfest, I'd recommend it to anybody out there listening. So Griff, a little bio about you. You're an interesting guy, I have a feeling. Well, I don't know about interesting, but certainly I've been around, uh, kind of been in the industry 32 years. Um, most of my time has been um, in the wholesale distribution game, but uh, started 32 years ago as in mill sales and then uh, transitioned into mill sale wholesale, a company that did uh, both of those. So they had production and we also wholesaled. And then uh, 22 years ago, we started Canadian Engineered Wood Products. Uh, our company specializes in servicing the truss industry. So every um, component or material, piece of material that a truss plant would require, we're actively engaged in, in that uh, sourcing and, and providing that service. Uh, also appearance grade lumber for um, lumber yards and things like that are, are part of our repertoire as well. But uh, that's kind of it. Um, heavily engaged in the industry and a large portion of our business at CWP is uh, consultive, I would say. We are actively doing the, the buying for several plants and consultively working with companies such as Drexel, um, providing a large uh, portion of information, data, uh, con inventory control, and uh, you know advice on when to act and when not to act. Uh, you, that's you are not, to be clear, you are, you're, first of all, we're in the lumber industry, if we haven't said that before, right? This is a lumber talk. Third thing Griff is talking about is lumber facing. Yes. You are not a mill? No, we are not a mill, but uh, we do have uh, sales contracts with kind of two and a half mills that we're responsible to sell all of their production. Okay. So we do represent two mills, and there's a, a third one that we're probably do at least 50%. And then also, you're, a, you're basically a, not using that term loosely, you're the sales side of, of mills. The mills don't have a sales team, you're out there actively selling their product. 
correct. To some degree, they have a sales team, but they've chosen to have us sell a portion of their product, which is basically the MSR and the appearance grade. Uh, because of our distribution channels that we have, because of the fact that we do a lot of purchasing for a lot of plants throughout North America, um, they have chosen to utilize us as a resource. You know, they would have one person actively trying to sell that product, and we have 13. And so we can, our tentacles will spread a little further. Uh, we can move the material for them through distribution or other channels. And so, um, yeah, one of these has uh, been going for 22 years, uh, this sales agency agreement. So it's, it's kind of stood the test of time. So, but no, we're not, we're not a mill, but uh, we do have a lot of mill production coming at us. Great, thank you. So I'm, I'm guessing if people are listening or, wa or watching this, if we have any linguistics in them, I believe is the term, they realize you have a bit of an accent, very small bit compared to Wisconsin. I know we have a very thick accent, uh, but it's a little Sean Connery in there. Uh, so you're not calling today from upper Wisconsin. Where are you calling from? Where do you, where do you reside? Yeah, my office is located in uh, Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. So it's on Vancouver Island. Um, very temperate. I think our claim to fame here is we have the warmest climate in Canada. Uh, but we have, you know, our company has offices uh, throughout Canada. Our head office is actually in Alberta. We have two offices there, an office in Winnipeg, Manitoba, an office in Phoenix, Arizona uh, as well. So we're, we're spread out quite a bit. Uh, as you're, on a, as, you're on an island? I mean, were you born and raised there? I was not born and raised here, no. Uh, but we are actually physically on an island. And the only way on and off this island is by boat, ferry, you know, ferry boat or, or plane, I guess. Um, but when you think of an island, you think of something small. Vancouver Island is, is massive. Uh, it would take you 12, 12 hours to drive the length of it and four hours to drive across it. What's so the population? Well, the, everything's in the south. This is actually the provincial capital is Victoria. So this is the, the state capital, if you will. And on the island, there's probably about 650,000 people. That's it. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And you're, you're just north of Seattle. Yeah, just northwest, almost straight west of Seattle as okay. a crow flies. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. how, many miles, how many miles west of Seattle? I thought Seattle was in the ocean, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really bad at geography. <laughs> About 60 miles as a crow flies. Uh, they're kind of due east of us here is where Seattle is. Yeah. Holden, Eric, did you know any of this? I, no. I did just from chatting with him. I, I actually had to Google Washington. Or, uh, did you know Holden? Island, so. No, well, I, I knew it like, there was like an island, but I didn't know. We have a 17 year old that's a. Uh, podcast guy that, that helps us all. Nah, I know where it was. Yeah. Honestly, um, I thought that Sacramento was in New York at first. I actually thought Vancouver Island until this very moment was really close to Buffalo, New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So there's a few nuggets in there already. I thought, yeah. you, were like Lake, I thought you were like in Lake Erie or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> okay, so yeah, yeah we're, getting, we're getting smarter about the moment. Like, boy, that's how dumb we are. He's like, we work with Drexel? Like, watch their credit. They're, they're not good. So we are a customer, to let everybody know, we are a customer of yours. We buy things from you. Uh, for people that don't understand, and, and it's our world, but not their world, you are the high-end lumber market. And what, is, what does MSR and appearance grade mean? And why do you sell, I mean, what is that? As it re, is in terms of logging and trees, can you dumb that down for us? 
Yeah, certainly. So um, MSR stands for Machine Stress Rated Lumber. And what it is, is it's a product that uh, is produced by specific mills. It, it takes a lot of capital to get into the manufacturing of machine stress rated lumber. But each piece goes through a non-destructive testing process in the mill that guarantees its strength. So each piece is QC tested. It's, it's got a known strength that is not based on just the visual quality of it. So your normal two and better that you see, basically what happens there is it has a visual override. And if it meets that visual override, it should, should therefore have these strength characteristics. MSR takes out the guesswork in that and it guarantees the fact that it has those strength characteristics because each piece is tested. So it's tested by either being bent and measured the resistance or now the new mode is acoustic testing, testing for density. So that's machine stress rated lumber and it's used pretty much exclusively in the truss industry, both roof truss, floor truss, and also eye joist. Uh, floor eye joist uh, systems. That's the primary consumers of it. Appearance grade is a grade that was basically born out of the recession. Uh, the mills were producing a basic homogenous two and better and they were struggling and so they started to produce um, a higher visual grade and call it all different types of brand names, appearance, HQ, Prime, Premium, every mill's got their own thing, but it all represents the same. And what we call it now is a box store grade. So it's a grade that was uh, driven by the box stores during the recession. And it's basically a product that is wane free, that they can put in their bins and not have people pick through and leave 30% less or remaining of the, of the bad stuff. So it's, it's got a much higher end visual, uh, straighter, cleaner, and just a better looking product that the mills ask a premium for. So, that's, can, go ahead. so that's the appearance grade side of things. And that's what we're heavily engaged in marketing. And then our product line aligns very well with what Drexel consumes. You guys are you know, very focused on a higher end product for your customers and uh, certainly the MSR that you consume in your truss plants and wall panel plants and stuff. So uh, there's you know, great synergies there with what, we're, what we market. So in your opinion, we're a top level national user of quality product, not to feed your words, but. I would say that's very accurate, yeah. Um, no, you're not feeding me the words. Um, our experience has definitely been with your company that, um, you have a certain quality that you're focused on, and Eric is is very, um, very I guess strict with this. Um, you have a certain product that you're looking for, and you seek that, and you won't buy anything beneath that. I have okay. seen, I have right. seen, you know, in the past where, you know, companies kind of walk the line, but then if something's cheaper or if the markets run up extensively, they'll drop their guard a little bit and uh, maybe bring in something a little of lesser quality. Uh, but Eric is uh, very committed to the quality that you guys represent and, and remains focused on that. Well, I appreciate that. No, that, that is, that's good, that are good, 
good things to know. So that stuff maybe I didn't even know. So a little bit just on, on trees, uh, for guys like that aren't educated, like maybe holding or experiencing this world, right? So the product itself is made by God, right? Like it's a natural product, but yet we're forcing it, quote unquote, to become an MSR machine tested product, which is kind of a very, very unique thing. This isn't quality controlled by humans making pieces of steel or pieces of plastic. Uh, this is something that is natural. So it really is, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Griff, to maybe even take it just a bit further from the mills that I went to. God makes a tree, the mill takes the tree and then uses basically every aspect of it because they need to bring all the profit out of that tree. And it's a good thing, right? It's a recyclable product. They don't have a waste factor. They take the sawdust and they might burn it or sell it somewhere in that region uh, if there is even sawdust. But the, the, this is the higher end part of the tree, which means if there's a knot, that means there was a branch. This is a knotless, branchless, slow growing, again, density means slow growth, right? So density primarily comes from the growth rings of a tree. Most people understand that. The bigger the growth, the faster the tree, the less density. So our, most of our lumber does not come from the deep south, which some, some lumber yards that we compete with would bring it in from the deep south because it just grows too fast. And then in bad uh, environmental changes, it'll twist and warp and crack because it, it just grew really fast. And then it's slow, so we're looking for a slow density tree. My dad always referred to it as a Southeast Sweester, Southeast, Southwest Canada. I grew up, correct me if I'm wrong, where, are the best, where does God grow the best trees in Canada? Yeah, a fair question. It's it it is British Columbia, the province that I'm in, which is the westernmost province. Sweester? Do you call it a Sweester? Is that a term? Uh, not for me. It's not. <laughs> um, so yeah, British Columbia, I would say, is kind of the the, the real breadbasket for um, quality, and the the biggest reason in that is, um, and, and next would be Alberta, and then probably Ontario, and then Quebec. Uh, but the biggest reason for that would be for what you're consuming is lodgepole pine. So lodgepole pine, and when you hear the term SPF, spruce pine fir, the pine in that SPF is lodgepole pine. And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's a slow growing tree in the northern parts of the province that don't get a long growing season. So you can get a, a, a tree that's eight inches in diameter that's 130 years old. So it's quite dense, slow grown, yeah, and, and no taper to it, and um, you know, fairly clean bowl because it's fairly tall and it's self-pruned. And that's where that's kind of the sweet spot for MSR. Is that I, I grew up in the lumber world, but my dad has always been a lumber buyer. So we'd be out and about and maybe at a basketball game, we'd see a a kid six seven six foot seven inches and 160 pounds, you know, and he would say, long and lean like a lodgepole pine. That's it. That's it. And then yeah. I, I like as soon as he said lodgepole pine, I'm like long and lean like a lodgepole pine. And we do have those in northern Wisconsin. Now, of course, that was logged out, uh, you know, 100 percent logged out. I mean, clear cut northern Wisconsin was about 100 years ago, obviously. Well, that would be 1922. I'm getting old. Before that, 150 years ago. You know, around the 1850s when it was 1870s, I guess it was completely cleared out. So we don't have a lot of those left, obviously, or not a lot of mature ones. But when you see them, they're just a wonderful specimen of a tree, in my opinion. They, yeah, they certainly are. And I guess maybe further to that, there's been an unfortunate situation over the last 20 years, which is called the mountain pine beetle. 
So that's um, an infestation or a bug, little critter that attacks the lodgepole pine. And it's always been brought under control by climate. Um, you know, typically you'd get one or two years that were bad and they would kill some and then you'd get really severe winters. But with climate change over the last 20 years, uh, we didn't get this kill that was going on. And this beetle has effectively, for the most part, wiped out large, large portions of lodgepole pine in British Columbia and Alberta. Can you explain, so like, and I believe that's part of the great, once in a while we'll get lumber that's gray. And it's not yeah. weather. And once in a while we have like slight worm, it's not worm holes. Could you explain the phenomenon of the gray lumber and the perhaps worms? And I, I don't think the worms isn't as much as they used to be, but if you do see a little worm tracking, the more of that grayness, where does that come from, Greg? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's lot that's Beetle kill lodgepole pine is the term that we use. So when the tree has been attacked by the beetle, it goes into distress and the, there's this blue stain that is the result of it. So it's actually a blue stain. It's not a fungus, uh, it's um, inert. There's no problems with it at all, but it takes away that clean white bright uh, product uh, that you would see. So that's what you're seeing is blue stain, which is a result of beetle kill wood. Um, when these trees are dead on the stump, still dead standing, and they come in and harvest, as you get to the end of its merchantable life, this dead standing stuff, there will be other critters attack it. That's largely where you may see those boreholes from and stuff like that. And then the other problem with it is the crack, uh, cracking, checking, splitting that occurs from it because this has been dead on the stump for five years, let's say, and it's overdried. And they don't even, they, they, they have to dry it. They have to bring it up to temperature in order to uh, kill whatever critters are in it. And so they just run it through the kilns real quick, adds a little extra drying to it. That's where you see this cracking, checking, splitting. So this was a significant problem coming out of British Columbia for a lot of years, but we're pretty much through all this dead stuff. Anything that's still dead and standing has got no value to it. So the mills are no longer interested in harvesting it, even though it's free. Um, so you're not seeing nearly uh, the degree of bug, bug kill, beetle kill problem that we used to have. For a period of time, it was significant. It was really a problem. And as a result, um, as Eric will attest, we are seeing a lot of mills harvesting now dug fir that they traditionally wouldn't harvest dug fir, but they're being forced into these areas to, man to go after these logs and stuff. So, uh, the, you know, kind of the product of choice was lodgepole pine. That's kind of gone away now for the most part. The good yeah. news is 150 years from now, we'll be back in business. Yeah, you know, it doesn't take that long, really, in, in most areas, 80 to 90 years will produce. Yeah, but the problem that everyone's struggling with right now is is trying to replant the lodgepole pine, and is the beetle going to come through and kill it again? And so this is the struggle. Um, of course, the SPF profile is the spruce, is the S in there, so there's a lot of spruce being replanted, a lot of dug fir being replanted in these areas that were once lodgepole pine. We may not see the pine come, obviously in my lifetime, we might not see the pines come back. Uh, I can guarantee you that, that it won't be in our lifetime. It's a longer uh, cycle time than that. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get, let's get on to, <laughs> lumber's been a big topic. 
right? You are on center stage, uh, you know, corn, oil, uh, commodity-wise, this is probably the most media attention that I think our industry has ever gotten, perhaps. Perhaps, maybe not, but the most volatile, I've been doing it 30 years, the most volatile that I can remember, maybe if you disagree with that or have a different reference point, but either way, how did we get here? Where are we going? I think is a, a great thing. You're, you're further up the supply chain that we are. Our customers uh, are really interested in that. We're always interested in that. Um, a lot of our builders are interested in it more now than ever. It's an interesting topic. Probably why we brought you on. Before we get to that though, I think it's so wildly fascinating. And Jason Blinker also, I talk too much in my own podcast, but Jason, it's my podcast. Um, is uh, interesting is how, you know, we're sitting in a town of 5,000 people in Little Campbellsport, Wisconsin. I'm, I'm talking to Griff in, in Vancouver Island and how international Drexel truly is. You know, you think of lumber yards as this local, little local pissant lumber yard, right? And we just uh, don't do a lot, but we actually are an international company, but very few independent yards or any yards ever consider themselves an international company, but truly we're sourcing international products. Pretty cool. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, Canada is 85% of our lumber probably comes from there, right? I mean, so, yeah. I mean we're never going to be able to get back into Canada in our lifetime, but in theory, we could go visit that. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome anytime. There you go. Oh. You, you're welcome to me. I'm not sure your government would agree with that. But that's a bit <laughs> no, no, you're still good. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be afraid you're going to capture me at this point. Uh, we're not going to go down that path at this point anyway. So give me the, the scoop. How did we get here? What happened that made it so volatile? What's currently going on? And then the future, right? So three things. How did we get here? What happened? What's currently happening in Jan 2022? And then what's your crystal ball saying? Yeah. So um, the lumber market really traded in small, um, you know, small trading range for all of those years. I would say the last 30 years um, couldn't could never mount much of a charge um, forward. It was largely what I would say would be oversupplied for a good portion of that period of time. So, you know, $400 was kind of the high end at times. The odd time it would get a little randy and move up to 500, but then it would quickly get killed. So it traded in a very narrow range for all of those years. Then all of a sudden here comes COVID in uh, March of 2020 and the world changed significantly at, at that point. And really it was about demographics and lifestyle change um, that really started driving things. The mills had to take some downtime. There were a few things because of basically the for a period of time, everybody stopped buying lumber. And then as we slowly emerged moving forward into call it May, June, July, there was this urge or drive for people to buy a house. There was the whole urban to suburb, uh, suburban movement in a lot of big centers, you pick a center from Seattle all the way to New York City, people wanted out of the urban condo downtown environment and they wanted to get out into, into suburbia. And so there was all of a sudden this drive for homes. And the other part that drove that is suddenly homes became not, it was just used to be where you lived. And through the pandemic, they, it's become where you lived 
where you work out, where you work, where you educate your kids. It's become a bigger part of your lifestyle now than it's ever been. And there's been a drive for people to have this and also a drive for people to have more of it, i.e. move up and have that extra bedroom, have that extra workout room, what have you. So really there was this rush to housing that we saw. All of you guys, you guys have started witness that. And through the pandemic, through um, changes in, in log diets for the mill or what the law the mill the government has provided logs to the mill for they were basically um their annual allowable cut was reduced and so there was very little elasticity of supply that used to exist at a high level and so when this drive for lumber started to come about it just um, was insatiable and there was really no elasticity of supply and boom we got our first shot at a thousand dollar lumber just and it was surprising to everybody uh, but that was the first foray into this volatility and it continues basically for those principles um, a lot of things are kind of broken in the industry namely transportation being a big big part of it inability to get the, the product to you guys or anybody else. The trucking industry is failing. The rail lines are failing. And so there's this um, really kind of broken supply chain as far as that's concerned as well. So that started the volatility. It hasn't really left us. Um, and it's, it's kind of like, you almost want to relate it to the toilet paper situation that when it's switched on, everybody wants to buy lumber. And it, it's self-fulfilling, you know, um, the reason for that is, is a company like yourself may have gone out and sold several projects and you've sold them at price X. Suddenly the price of lumber goes up and it goes past that price X. You're forced to come in and buy that lumber now, even though you might not buy it for two or three months. So you guys add to that volatility. You're forced to buy lumber that you might not have bought for some time in a regular flow. So it's bringing all of this stuff forward and everybody gets on it and then they'll get all their lumber bought. You'll buy that stuff that you're not going to use for two or three months and then you sit on it. And then the thing kind of collapses and implodes and goes running back down. And then, you know, it gets low enough and everybody starts to feed on it again. Um, so that's created this volatility that we're having a difficult time stopping this cycle. And so that takes us to where we are today, second part, January 2022. And we're in that kind of situation where everybody's forced to buy lumber to cover pre-sold stuff. They don't want to but they're forced into it and it's feeding this market again and again. Um, typically, you guys will roll into a quiet season and that's not the case. You guys are very busy. The entire industry is very busy and there's very little time for it to recover right now. Normally it'll quiet down, the mills will cover, build up some inventory, start looking for offers. That's not happening. The other side of that is, is kind of you know COVID what it's brought about is there's kind of five or six different areas that consume lumber be it you know single family housing multi-family housing agricultural stuff commercial stuff um, 
the home repair DIY market and stuff. And yeah. quite often they're not all firing. Can you hear us? Yeah. Oh, did I lose you? It should be coming through here. You just want to turn it so we can see it? Hey, you're there. We're there now? Yeah, we're back. The TV turned off. Okay. Hi. Okay. So um, where we're at right now is we got all of those five or six uh, different segments in the industry pulling hard on the rope and demanding lumber. Everybody is busy. I mean, your multifamily business is, is like everybody else is very strong, commercial strong. Everything is very strong. So demand overall globally uh, or even in North America is extremely strong, about as strong as I've seen it in all those years. Um, so that's it right now. We're kind of caught in this crunch where everybody's got to cover and it looks a little bit uh, challenging right now that we might not start to approach the highs again um, just because everybody is concerned about uh, covering their needs. If I can, I, sorry to interrupt, but if I can chime in, I got a little well, funny story too. here. Right when five years ago, six years ago, when Albert started training me for the lumber, He's the first, one of the first things he ever told me was never pay over $500 a thousand for lumber. And I think last year we were paying close to $2,000 per thousand. So but, uh, he really, he, he came back at me with that one. So yeah, and just for those that you don't know, Albert is my dad. So he started the company in 85 and um, he, he loves, he loves buying lumber uh, more than anybody I know. So um, and he's always done his claim to fame. He's always done a good job and his fan air to do the same thing. So the bigger, like everyone know, a lot of people know the history. A lot of people know what's going on now. What's the crystal ball say, right? Like that's the million dollar. That's that's the million dollar question. Yeah, it, it really is, Joel. You know, so well, it's right now, million dollars. It's millions <laughs> of dollars. It's a billion dollar question. It really is. So. I think what what we may see here is this continued volatility for this year. I don't see things backing off as far as demand goes. There's other problems that the mills are now having to deal with as far as log fiber or fiber supply, log supply, logistically as far as transportation goes. That situation is not going to get fixed. Um, so expect why, why, is it, why the log supply? Not enough loggers. I mean, the trees, the trees grew the same rate. They didn't have COVID. Yeah. So there's three things acting on that. The first of which is um, in British Columbia and Alberta, they're they're clawing back the volume to the mills due to over harvesting. Um, if we go back to that uh, beetle kill situation, in order for the mills, in order for the government, excuse me, the government to be able to harvest this stuff they basically let the mills go loose on this stuff and they were harvesting 2.1 times what was sustainable to get at this lodgepole pine before it all went bad. So there was a period of over harvesting that went on and now they're having to, to claw this back. It's kind of called the fall down effect from it. And then again, the local government here in British Columbia just uh, clawed back 5 million acres of old growth lumber, old growth logs, if you will, um, for environmental reasons. So the mills are just now starting to grapple with that. Um, Alberta's got some problems uh, and so does um, uh, Quebec and, Man and um, Ontario as well. Uh, fiber supply being reduced by the government. 
Fast forward into the US, of course, the Pacific Northwest has always been challenged with their log supply issues, just a shrinking land base and um, you know some over harvesting that's taken place there. The real breadbasket is in Southern Yellow Pine in the Southeast part of the, your country of, of the US. And they've had a glut of logs, cheap logs, but the world has kind of figured that out in the last six months. And there's now foreign competition for those logs. So they're struggling with it. Um, so that's the one thing there is log supply, fiber supply. The other part is transportation, every aspect of it. So we've got some southern yellow pine mills that have ample logs, but they physically can't get them to the mill. So the truck, the truck transportation, there's, there's a lot of competition for that. The pulp mills are paying more for trucks than the mills are prepared to. So we've got a couple of mills that are only running four days a week, not because they don't have the logs, it's because they can't get the logs into the mills. So there's those logistical issues as well. So where I'm going with this, supply is gonna to continue to be dubious. It's gonna get choked here and there. And so that's going to keep the volatility alive. It's gonna keep the supply side choked off for this year. You say volatility, and volatility means up and down. Correct. You're going to have that same up and down pattern of people overbuying and panicking to cover their costs. And then it's like, oh gosh, I'm really actually pretty good for three months. Crash, up, down, up, down. Or are you saying volatility as in thousand and over going forward? I know that's an unknown. I won't hold you to it. But I mean, it will be on a podcast. So we'll just you know replay it occasionally. But <laughs> No pressure, right? Well, yeah. What's your opinion? Your definite volatility is which one? Higher pricing or up and down? Yeah, volatility is definitely, in my mind, up and down. Um, you know, last year uh, we saw in, uh, I think it was May, yeah, May 13th, we saw a high of, and I'm talking uh, mill prices for spruce, a high of $1,630. And then we rolled all the way down by August 19th, it was 12 weeks we went, and we rolled from 1630 down to 385. <laughs> it was $1,200 in 12 weeks the thing fell. Just think of that in percentages holding, right? Like you, you don't know the lumber market. 400% basically. Yeah, think of like your Bitcoin stock that you probably dabble in or something. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, there you go. I don't know how to do it. He's a gambler, so I don't know how to do it on NFL. It's like a parlay, but it's not exactly that. I don't know how to do that for you, but I mean, it's 400% down, right? Plus 400%. Yeah, way more than plus 400 No, no, no. Plus 400%? Yeah. 400%. So it'll be plus 40,000. 40,000. Yeah. Right? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. This really happened to a lot of us. So, Griff, one question I have on that. What I predicted that I would see more trust component plants, particularly, but also lumberyards actually go out of business because they did not have it covered, because a salesman sold it at some sort of quote market condition. And you know, all it takes is the lack of communication from a sales force to undersell it and a buying team not being aboard of that, what is actually coming in. Um, I'm a little surprised that we haven't seen people go out of business. Am I not giving the industry more enough credit? Or is that still going to happen, in your opinion? Yeah, I would say that was a good prediction at the time. What saved everybody was the $1,630 drop down to 385. That gave people an opportunity to recover because they had sold a lot of stuff, you know, 
eventually got some of their prices up to 1600 and then they were able to buy it at lower numbers. So that saved people. Had it stayed at that $1,600 number, your prediction would be correct. Um, now, going forward, are we going to see this, you know, people closing? I think a lot of people have um, really started to sort out internally what they need to do to protect themselves, which is, you know, uh, repricing opp opportunities, maybe some futures hedging, uh, using different tools to not put them at risk of a market run-up. We're still at risk, but people have used risk mitigation tactics to try to stop, you know, uh, to try to prevent this. Um, and there's been en enhanced communication between those people selling the material in your your operation with Eric, with those people buying it. Yeah, so, no, I mean, we went from three buyers a year ago, and we currently have seven and an opening for eight. Is that correct, Eric? In one year. Yeah. And we grew 20%. We didn't grow that exponentially. A lot of that was to understand how to actually buy lumber. We never played the true futures market. We are now doing that daily. Yep. And we are repricing early, often, and have multiple escalation, escalation clauses within our large-scale project contracts for our commercial builders. Things we did not have in place because again, for years and years and years, the volatility of the lumber market was, there was an opportunity to buy and sell, absolutely. Was it, on, was it on a thin level? Was it predictable? Looking back, yeah, it somewhat was, so we weren't that concerned. Uh, but yeah, we fundamentally changed and I guess the industry has. Probably for the best, because even within that 10 to 12% that we lived in or 20%, uh, living on raised within margins as our industry does, that didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so we've all gotten better, I think, and I think our builders have gotten better too, that they're not taking that risk on a house-by-house -house basis as well. Yeah, agreed. Uh, this has forced about a, a lot of change and um, for the good, uh, certainly has made people uh, more intelligent in the way they want to run their business and certainly paying closer attention to what's going on in the lumber business and how it affects your bottom line. So it's been it's been a forced change, but it's um, one that, you know, we were a little complacent. A big run was $100 and it wasn't a big deal. And uh, the industry was complacent. And this has forced people to improve their internal communications and strategies uh, by necessity. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, that's, that's great. Well, I have, I have two things left. We want to hear about your billboard, and we want to hear about trends. We've got about 10 minutes left. But before we do that, I have one question. Colin, Eric and I and Griff are completely engaged in this, right? Mm -hmm. This is like one of my favorite podcasts ever. Like, I'm rating it very high, so great job. I'm curious as do you, 17-year-old dude, 80% of this is over your skis. I had no idea you guys talking about. Yeah, like <laughs> one, to ten, one to 10, are you like at a one engaged right now? Oh, I mean, I'm engaged, but like I just don't like, understand. Yeah, like how interested do you like a two out of ten, three? Interested? Probably about like honestly. You're always an honest guy, so I know I can ask you that. Depends on which part of the conversation, like like the general part of the conversation, probably about a two or a one. <laughs> like the part where you talk about bugs and stuff, sounds like a four. Which part? About bugs. <laughs> that was our peak. That's when we peaked. Griff, real quick. Yeah, that's that's a little humble pie, right, Griff? There you go. Uh, the bug part got him. The bug part got him. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> a lot of those, a lot of the big mills, Camcor, Cocoa, they're buying Southern Yellow Pine mills down south, right? So, at what point is are we not going to be able to buy lumber from Canada? 
Well, you know, the Canadian. Well, we'll have to bring in Southern Yellow Pine. I mean, that's years down the line, but at some point, it's going to happen, right? Yeah, the Canadian wood basket is shrinking for the reasons discussed. You know, the lodgepole pine and and all the uh, you know the, the moratorium on logging and old growth. So, this is why for the last ten years the Canadian mills uh, have been looking to consolidate by 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 mills. That that's been going on for a long time prior to this, Eric, within Canada. So the Canadian mills have been buying Canadian mills, and then they started to set their sights on the U.S. Uh, Southern Yellow Pine Mills, and now the Canadian mills own probably pretty close to 40% of that production. And so your question is, at what point will we not be able to buy Canadian spruce? I don't see that as a terminal situation. I do see it where there will be a little less, little less of that available, and you may have to look at Southern Yellow Pine. But I will put a plug in for Southern Yellow Pine that with the Canadian mills buying a lot of these um, smaller U.S. mills, they have poured billions of dollars of capital into these pine mills. They are now technologically more advanced than most Canadian mills, because that's where all their capital went. If they got a declining resource in Canada, why put that capital into that mill when you can take an antiquated one in, southern, in the Southern Yellow Pine world which has got limitless logs at this point. And so their technology, their ability to, to produce a quality product, dry a quality product has been enhanced tremendously. So the age old uh, kind of stigma for Southern Yellow Pine and the problems associated with it, they're not as, they're not as strong today as they once were. It's a better product. So it is. They're milling a better product, not making a better tree there. No, they're probably making a worse tree, to be honest with you. Right, but, right. Yeah, but their ability to manage that resource in the mill and extract a quality product has been enhanced significantly right. through technology. Right, and by making a worse tree holding or, or people listening, what that means is genetically, they're able to grow a tree faster, which for our, for what the use that we use it for, makes it less dense and, and worse of a tree. You know, it, it's... You can actually, if, hold on, if you actually go to Alabama, you can watch a tree grow right now. If you can stare at it, you'll see it grow. Actually, no, not actually at all. <laughs> <laughs> that was a five out of ten. Let's go back to bugs and re-engage them. Yeah. That was, yeah, Griff, Griff, I knew he'd like that one. Soon as I was going with it, he's going like, to use this one someday. Okay, yeah. so let's get to trends. We only got a few minutes left together, unfortunately. I'm engaged, but you know, other people have tuned out lately. So you wanted to mention trends, and then we want to hear about your billboard. Yeah, so the trends. Um, I guess from a manufacturer. Right, right. Go ahead. From a, ma from a manufacturing perspective, expect more consolidation. That's just unavoidable. The mills have made a lot of money, and they do not do well with a lot of money in the bank. They're expected to reinvest that money, and that is in the form of acquisitions. So expect more consolidation. I would say maybe expect more consolidation on your side of the business. We know there's a couple of big players out there that are you know, swallowing up companies. So expect probably more of that. Um, Which is crazy, because I'm like, I feel like we're the last independent left in the nation already. So I, anytime it goes out on Twitter, I always just respond, last independent, you know, turn off the light. you know. Over. Yeah, I, I personally, I like your position. I do. Um, I think that as these companies get bigger, they get more bloated. 
they they're less flexible in their ability to um, you know be quick on their feet and address their customers needs if a customer came to you with a specific need that might be out of their corporate policy the big boys corporate policy you guys can double clutch and take care of that customer and and so there's tremendous opportunity for you guys in that environment but uh, to expect more consolidation on on both fronts manufacturing and um, you know lumber yard type supply side um, and you know the demographics are such that they're, you know, the economists said that, that the U.S. needed to build about 1.5 million houses a year to keep up with new home formations, uh, household formations, and we were well below that for a lot of years. And so there's a lot of catching up to do. So I expect to see housing starts, housing demand continue almost a little insulated from recessionary uh, inflationary problems. I do believe. I do believe this is going to continue to go. The drive for housing is significant as millennials move forward. So I think it will be somewhat insulated from potential economic problems coming at us. So that's my kind of crystal ball there. Um, and there's nothing bad about any of this. It's livable. Um, there's opportunity for everybody, for your builders. Uh, it's a good situation. Your customers will have lots of business. It's just their ability to manage it, find the appropriate people to build it, and and do it, you know, efficiently and safely. Yeah, and hopefully with offsite construction, because of the shortage of labor, we feel offsite construction that we're on the cutting edge in the Midwest doing that, and that will take us to be able to use that great lumber God makes. Okay, so final question, Griff, and uh, we dumped that on you about an hour ago. The big giant billboard somewhere in your big fancy island or somewhere that almost the whole world's gonna see it. It's gonna stay up for a very long time. Your opportunity to tell the world something or say something or art and a piece of artwork, whatever it is, it's your billboard. What does it say? Yes. Yeah, this you definitely did dump this on me. So you're talking about uh, me personally, or about the industry, or what? What are you talking it's, about? It's your billboard, so it's whatever you want. Personally, industry, it's whatever you want. It's your billboard. It does not have to be business related. Well, I'm gonna okay. I'll make it a little business related. Um, my billboard would um, say that it's been a privilege to be involved in this industry over all the years that I've been involved in it. That's not going to fit on a billboard. <laughs> that was... You know what a billboard is, right? You guys have them, don't you? Hell, like hell. when you drive, it's a big billboard, right? Like there's four words. Like when driving down the highway, going 75 miles an hour, it's a billboard. Like okay. A Do you call that different? Do you guys call it a billboard? What do you call it? Oh, we yeah. still call it a billboard. I wasn't clear. So, so no, it's so a it's big like... billboard down. Like we're flying down the highway. You look to the left, and there's you know. An ad for your car dealership. You got four seconds your, to read it. Yeah, yeah, it's your billboard, and it's yours. It's not your business. It can be if that's your passion, but it's your billboard. Sure, mine would say that it's um, nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. There you go. That sounds good. Yeah, that's a good one. And, and why? And why is that? What, what does that mean to you? I think that uh, humility and integrity are uh, tremendous uh, character. Uh, values that I uh, try to kind of adhere to. So I think that um, that kind of 
kind of collates that and, and speaks to that a bit for me. So that's it. That's kind of been the way that I've run my life and my business life. And, and it means a lot to me to be um, respected and to um, deal with integrity and, and, you know, with, with your heart. So wonderful answer. Cheers to you on that. That was, uh, that warms my heart. That's great. <laughs> so, so before we choose, I have to go another cheers and, uh, you definitely have the best hair and the best mustache goatee combination of anybody that we've ever had. I was, uh, honestly, I was thinking about that earlier. Yeah, I mean, man, the guy's got great hair and just, oh, man, well-trimmed, man. That's, uh, that's very gray. It's very gray. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I'm just jealous, I guess. Basically. Well, thank you for having us on. We really appreciate it. Thanks for everything that you do for us and within the industry. God bless and take care. Thank you very much. We've got a great partnership. We appreciate it on our end, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to participate. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate the, uh, the ease of which you handled it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Take care. See ya. Okay, cheers. See you guys. Thank you.